And welcome back to another episode of American Soccer Quick Kicks. I'm your host, David Rice. Are you not entertained? The United States has won the 2021 Gold Cup. They are your CONCACAF champions. I don't believe I've spoken to you since before the semifinal when I predicted that the United States would fall to Qatar. And I had every reason to think that. They certainly were the inferior team on paper. And Qatar gave them a lot to handle, gave them a wonderful match. They did come out with a 1-0 victory. And that set them up for the final that CONCACAF wanted, the final that Fox Sports wanted, the one that we always want, the one that, that the tournament is always set up to make this particular final possible. And that is the two biggest teams in CONCACAF, the United States and Mexico. We got that on Sunday night, and they faced off in another classic. For the second time this summer, the United States and Mexico met in a final with a trophy on the line. And once again, the United States rose to the occasion and came away with the victory, lifting the gold cup. There is not enough good things that can be said about this. You cannot overstate the significance of what this victory actually means because we won this match against top opposition with not our top squad. And that bodes very, very well for the state of American soccer. We took on Mexico's top team in June in the Nations League final with our European-based superstars, with the guys that we expect to be starting in World Cup qualifying, the guys like Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna and Serginho Dest and Weston McKinney. We took the field against Mexico's A squad in June and came away with an, after an insane match with the victory. And we put those guys, uh, we kind of put them aside for the Gold Cup and said, go rest your bodies, get ready, be ready in September, spend time in preseason with your clubs over in Europe. But when September gets here, we're, we, we want you to be ready. So we're going to use the Gold Cup as an opportunity to find our depth pieces. And so we filled an MLS-based squad for the Gold Cup, the Me- and the Mexico team kept their same A squad. This is essentially the same team that Mexico fielded against us in June. This is the team that has their top players in it, many of them also playing in Europe. And we came at them with basically our C squad, with basically an with an Amer- with an all-American MLS all-star team. And we won. Very inexperienced. Some guys were making their debuts, and we beat Mexico again. We beat the very top talent and opposition in CONCACAF with about our third string team. And for us to be able to do that, when I kept saying we weren't going to make it past the quarterfinals, nobody was really expecting the United States to be able to beat Mexico here. Many people were saying that we needed to get to the semifinal to have a successful tournament. I didn't even think that was necessary. If we could just show well, not embarrass ourselves and find some depth pieces for qualifying coming up, then it would be a good World Cup. And if we fall short of, this, of, the, of appearing in the final, then that's okay. That's not a disastrous sign. There's no reason to panic or get upset. We're still rolling into qualifying in a very strong position. But in spite of all that, we actually did beat Mexico. They were absolutely highly motivated to win this tournament. They were playing their top players, and they were playing hard, and they wanted this. They needed this after losing to the United States in the Nations League. They had to win this. Manager Tata Martino's seat is now very hot, and many are thinking that he may not be around by the time qualifying gets started. This is 
a scandal in Mexico that they have once again fallen to the United States for the second time this summer. So it cannot be overstated what an amazing run this has been for the U.S. men's team. The U.S. men's national team has not lost a match since we dropped that friendly in late May to Switzerland. A Switzerland who was, uh, I believe, ranked 13 in the world at the time, and we're getting ready to play in the Euros. And since then, we have been perfect. We have won every single match. We have won two trophies. And, and this is the best part, we have done it with essentially two completely different squads. And we have done it against the best teams in CONCACAF. Between the Nations League and the Gold Cup, we've, we've taken out Canada, Jamaica, Honduras, Panama, Mexico twice. This is CONCACAF. These are the guys we're going to face. And for us to be able to lift two trophies this summer against CONCACAF opposition and to do it by digging so deep into our talent pool, we have every reason to be going into World Cup qualifying, riding very, very high in confidence. We are the CONCACAF champions. We are clearly right now the best team in this part of the world. So we come out of this Gold Cup with Greg Berhalter looking very, very good. He has this program exactly where he needs it to be and exactly where he wants it. And we've got this machine finely tuned and exactly ready and peaking at the right time as we enter the World Cup qualifying, which starts early September. So all props to Greg Berhalter. So not only did we play this tournament with a very young squad, some of them making their very first appearance with the national team, others still had national team appearances that were still in the single digits. And so we were learning a lot about these kids. And not only that, but we lost our most critical defender in Walker Zimmerman during the group stage. And in spite of all of that, we only conceded one goal in the entire tournament. So over the course of six matches, we only allowed one goal, and that was on a set piece. So I believe it was a penalty kick. So we did not give up a single goal in the run of play. And you have to give huge, huge credit to New England Revolution goalkeeper Matt Turner, who did an absolutely amazing job, was probably the MVP for us, and did win best goalkeeper honors for the Gold Cup this year. And he has now, through the strength of his play, has now forced himself into the conversation of maybe he needs to be our A-squad goalkeeper. So Zach Steffen has had a lock on that position for a while now. He is the reserve goalkeeper with Manchester City. He plays in some of their secondary competitions, but he rarely gets to play in Premier League matches. And you may remember the amazing performance by his backup, Ethan Horvath, in the Nations League final in June. And Horvath was not present at this Gold Cup camp, and he certainly made a case for himself with that performance. But now Matt Turner is someone who's getting it done week in and week out during the regular season. He's, he's the starter for New England. They're playing every single week. He is in form, and he is one of the most impressive shot stoppers that we've ever seen come through. Now, the America has had a great tradition of goalkeepers going back to at least 1989-1990 with Tony Miola. So coming right after him was Brad Friedel and K.C. Keller, and they were kind of right there during the same time overlapping with each other, both of them world-class talents. And that was followed by Tim Howard, who had about a 20-year reign as our netminder. But since then, and for the last few years as Tim Howard was getting older, 
it became a case of looking around going, where's our next goalkeeper coming from? Because it seemed like this succession of amazing world-class goalkeepers that we could lay claim to, it felt like that chain was breaking. Like, where's our next guy? And we've had plenty of people step in to the role, but nobody that has really taken it to the next level and has opened eyes around the world. And it, Zach Steffen appeared to, to be that guy to emerge when he was able to get into the Premier League. But now we have what looks like an abundance of talent to choose from. Steffen absolutely deserves consideration as the number one goalkeeper. But you've got Horvath and Turner that are also making their claims. And there are many saying right now that Turner ought to get that shot. That Turner could be the number one choice for goalkeeper when it comes time for qualifying. So we need to keep an eye on that. Speaking of the New England Revolution, they were also the big winners during this tournament because not only did they see one of their players win best goalkeeper for the tournament, but they also had another one of their young players uh, win the best young player award for the tournament in Tejon Buchanan. He is a defender for Canada and for the New England Revolution. He was able to step into the role that Alfonso Davies left vacated when he got hurt during camp, and Buchanan has raised his profile significantly, and now we can probably expect to see him making a move to Europe soon. And so between Turner and Buchanan, the revolution are now looking very, very strong, especially when you consider that over in the MLS season, the revolution have continued to win without those two guys and have actually put themselves at the top of the table with the best record in the league, and they're doing it without two of their best players. And so it's going to be absolutely worth keeping an eye on what New England does with their season. The United States did win this final by a score of 1-0. to It did not happen until the 117th minute. We were just three minutes away from going to penalty kicks when Kellen Acosta, who had, I have to say, the best game I've ever seen him play for the United States and has now strongly laid claim to that second position on the depth chart for the number six position behind Tyler Adams. He lifted in a amazing ball to the exact right spot on a free kick, and Atlanta United defender Miles Robinson was able to rise up and meet it and knock it into the goal for the game winner. So this is especially sweet for Atlanta fans because, number one, Atlanta doesn't have much to get excited about this year. They're once again having a miserable year. And to have Miles Robinson step up and, and get this high-profile game-winning goal, trophy-winning goal, is, is a highlight for Atlanta fans. But consider what Miles did with this. Walker Zimmerman goes down with an injury during group play. And so Robinson had to be the guy to be able to step up and take control and anchor that defense and look at and full credit to the goalkeeper and to the other defenders, but Miles Robinson was a significant part of the defense that did not allow a single goal from run of play in the entire tournament. And perhaps more than anybody else on this squad, he has raised his profile and has seen his stock rise the most. There is a degree of irony involved because the Mexico manager Tata Martino was Atlanta United's first manager. And he was the manager when Miles Robinson was drafted through the college draft out of Syracuse. And under Tata, Miles could not get very much playing time. He rarely saw the pitch, usually only got mop-up duty or emergency duty, and did not really emerge as a prominent player, as a star of the league, until after Tata left. Now, Tata has been eliminated from the Gold Cup by Miles. The player that he wouldn't rate and wouldn't let see the pitch has risen to this occasion, has won the match against him, and now Tata may he may not keep his job very much longer. 
So there's a there's a delicious uh, a bit of irony with that. So a few players did see their stock go up in the World Cup. That would be, of course, Matt Turner and Miles Robinson. I also think James Sands did something to show that he deserves to be considered at least as a bench piece for the defense once we get ready for World Cup qualifying. Kellen Acosta absolutely did that. I think Matthew Hoppe was a player who I was not familiar with and I've never really seen play before, but he was able to impose his will on the match and really did a lot, worked really hard, and was willing to try stuff, was willing to take risk and try stuff to see what he could create. And I love that attitude. I love that attacking attitude. We we don't seem to have attackers that really are willing to just go at people. And he's absolutely, he has that about his game. And, and he has that kind of that trash talking attitude and that swagger that you like to see. And he is also now seeing a lot of interest from big clubs around Europe. There were players that did, I think, see their stock drop as a result of this CONCACAF. The, the worst losers there, I believe, were Jackson Ewell and Jonathan Lewis. They played early on in the group stage and they never came back. We never saw them again later in the tournament. I do think we have to take Daryl DK down a step. Uh, we wanted to see him emerge from this tournament as the clear choice number nine central striker for our A squad, and he was not able to fully take advantage of that opportunity. He had every chance to show us that, and he didn't do it. And so I think we still have questions about who our number one striker should be. He's in the conversation along with Josh Sargent and Giazzi Zardes. I do kind of still put my bet on Daryl DK. I think he is someone whose game is benefited by having quality wingers. That You saw that in England when he was playing for Barnsley, that you've got good wingers whipping balls in from the side, and he is this big guy who can power people off and get his head on the ball. And I think if you put him between Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, that you're going to see a much, much better version of him that we saw in the Gold Cup. However, he did not emerge from this tournament as a clear runaway favorite for that position. So it's something to keep an eye on. We did learn some things about Gianluca Busio also. I do still like him a lot, but what we saw is that this is still a kid who's still growing into his body, and he's just not very big. And in CONCACAF, you're going to get pushed around. You're going to get punished. And he was just kind of out physical a lot of the time during this tournament, and that's something that has to be considered. Despite his technical brilliance and his ability to see the game, he's he's a small guy right now, and so that's going to be, has to be a consideration when you consider the types of matches that we expect to be in during CONCACAF. I would say there's two other solid performers, veteran MLS guys, who are just rock solid, and you count on them every time. One is Jazzy Zardes, who was Greg Berhalter's go-to striker while he was with the Columbus Crew. And Zardes continues to do great things up top. But I was really impressed with Christian Roldan of Seattle. I saw him making big impacts on matches every time he came in. I think he's the perfect guy to bring in in the 60th or 70th minute who knows what's going on with the game, can read the state of the game, and then come in and really impact it in a very, very significant way. I saw him do that with almost every appearance in this tournament. And he absolutely, in my opinion, deserves to have a spot on the bench when it comes time for qualifying. So I think this episode's going longer than usual. That's okay. We'll call it a Gold Cup celebration. Had a little bit of news come out yesterday that is fantastic. So as a result of the United States' perfect record throughout June and July and winning twice against Mexico, guess what? The U.S. men have now cracked the top 10 of the FIFA World Rankings. In the brand new rankings, the United States are ranked number nine in the world. Now we will not see the national team again until September 3rd with the 
opening qualifying match against El Salvador. That game is scheduled to take place in El Salvador, but however, with a spike in COVID cases there, there's a possibility that they will need to move that to the United States to play the match. If they do, a lot of people are saying that perhaps we will see that game take place in Washington, D.C., where El Salvador has a very big community, very big representation, and a lot of support. And then, of course, the second match will follow just a few days later in Nashville with the very first home match of this round of qualifying. We'll be playing Canada. And then that will be followed a few days later with a trip to Honduras. So September is going to be very exciting for this national team, the number nine team in the world. It's going to be interesting to see who comes out of this Gold Cup with a spot on the qualifying rosters. But my goodness, we just won two trophies this summer against CONCACAF giant Mexico. We did it with two different squads. We're now top 10 in the world, and we're going into, into World Cup qualifying we're going to play these same teams. There are no mysteries. We have beaten the best CONCACAF has to offer this summer already. And, and in the case of the Gold Cup, did it without our best guys. And guess what? They're all coming back. So it's going to be absolutely fun to watch. Welcome aboard. If you are new to this bandwagon, there's plenty of room for you. I know that there are a lot of people that are casual fans of soccer, and they only get interested when it comes to World Cup time. But I'm here to like help build that hype. The World Cup's going to be next year. But if you will stick with me and watch these games with me, you're going to start to learn this team and learn these players, and you're going to be invested by the time the World Cup happens and make no mistake, we absolutely will qualify for the World Cup. There's no way with the state of our program right now and as strong as we are that we do not come out of qualifying with the World Cup berth. So this is going to be a fun journey and I'm glad you're here to take it with me. Now, I know this is a long episode as we celebrate the Gold Cup, but I've got a couple of quick points to make before I'm out of here. Number one, I said I'd report on the women's Olympic campaign, and I failed to mention last time when I recorded that they did make it out of group stage. Even though they lost their opener, they did beat up on New Zealand, and they, they got by with a 0-0 draw against Australia. But the win and the draw was enough for them to get out of group stage. They then played the Netherlands in the quarterfinals, beat them, and then played Canada in the semifinals, and they lost. It's the first time the U.S. women have lost to Canada in 20 years, but they did fall short and so will not be able to play for the gold medal. They are playing for the bronze medal, and that match will be played Friday of this week. And now with this crazy summer of international soccer mostly behind us, we turn our attention back to the MLS season. The regular season's going strong. Um, there are other competitions going on for MLS this month. And one of the unfortunate things about Major League Soccer playing the summer schedule that they do is that they you do have years where there's so much international action going on that the league suffers because they're missing their best players. So now with the Gold Cup over, all these teams are going to be getting their players back. As they shift gears and get ready for the second half of the season, everybody starts making a push for the playoffs. But there are other competitions that MLS clubs are participating in, and it'll be taking place not only this month, but next week. That's right. Next week, we'll have both the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal matches, the first leg of the semifinals being played on August 12th. And then on August 10th, 11th, and 12th, we're having Leagues Cup action. Now, I know that I keep talking about that and I haven't fully explained it, but I will be back tomorrow to finally walk you through exactly what that means. This one's gone on long enough. It's probably a record for the length of episodes I do for this show. But let's all celebrate together the United States Gold Cup victory. We are CONCACAF champions. We are a top 10 team in the world, and we are ready for World Cup qualifying. Now, this summer of soccer keeps rolling on, so just kick back, watch some soccer with me, and I'll be back to talk to you very soon about League's Cup. <laughs>